0: The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is co-founder and producer of the podcast. Today's episode is episode number 344. We have been doing weekly podcasts for almost seven full years. Just a reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star rating. That way, when people are looking for help with addiction, they can find our podcast and we have a myriad of different guests to help them in the situation. Please also subscribe to our YouTube channel and give our videos a thumbs up. That way, again, people can find us when they are looking for help with addiction. Today's episode is is an interview with a gentleman named Dan Zito. We have interviewed Dan before. Dan has had 15 years of narcotics investigative experience with the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office. He established and supervised the Strategic Diversion Task Force, investigating pharmaceutical crimes, doctor shopping, fraud, trafficking, and more. Currently, Dan is the training and education director at NADDI, National Association of Drug Diversion Investigators. In that position, he assists assists the executive board in the development and implementation of NADDI training conferences, and Dan is the man for the job. Dan Zito is an awesome addition to the Natty Executive Board. He brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to the organization and strives to keep their training fresh, fun, and educational. He is going to talk to us today about Narcan and making Narcan available and the value of Narcan in fighting this war against addiction. So let's talk to Dan Zito. Dan Zito, thank you so much for being on the podcast again today.
1: Well, thank you, Joni. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, you are a wealth of information because you have been involved in this for a long time. But give us just a little bit about your background, like where you grew up, you know, where you went to school, kind of, you know, you were in the sheriff's department, correct? Correct. Well, So
1: to start with, my background is I grew up in uh, Edison, New Jersey, which is central New Jersey, and uh, right out of high school, I was... Going to make a decision to either go into the military or do something else. My father, who was law enforcement, suggested I come to Florida to stay with the grandparents. And, of course, I came to the Tampa Bay area, fell in love with the area, and uh, met my wife, got into law enforcement, and been here over four decades.
0: Wow. And what, so you, you ended up in law enforcement, and how did, did you do something before you were in the Sheriff's Department, or is that where your law enforcement career started?
1: Well, you know, I grew up in a law enforcement family. I never anticipated that I actually would be doing that as a career, and I started by doing some various different types of jobs and got into security, and then when I came to Florida, it just kind of happened. Um, I wasn't really, like I said, I was not my career path. Uh, but it just seemed very easy for me to kind of step into that field. And I've been very fortunate to where I'm at today, uh, 40 years plus, law enforcement, retired, and um, have seen quite a bit throughout my career, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But it's put me in a place now of advocacy where I'm trying to do a lot of harm reduction for the public and use my background as the the catalyst to help in that area.
0: Understood. When you when you went into the sheriff's department, were you initially in the area dealing with narcotics, or did how did you get up end up in narcotics?
1: So interesting you should ask that question. So I started very young at age 19, got my foot in the door. Actually started with St. Pete Beach police on the road as a police officer. When I went through academy, a lot of the cadets uh, that graduated convinced me to transition to the sheriff's office. So I did so, and I have never looked back. (laughs) Initially, when I got into the sheriff's office, I, I was assigned to an area for about a year and a half, and then from there, I was fortunate to end up in a DUI unit for another year and a half, so it kind of put me in the area of substance use and abuse and seeing all different aspects of it. And then from there, I was selected to go to narcotics, which I've spent the brunt of my career as an undercover, in and out, uh, as a trainer, uh, as a sergeant. And, of course, I retired as a lieutenant from the pinos County Sheriff's Office. So most of my career has been in some area of narcotics investigative work um, in different levels. And, again, I have seen quite a bit of, you know, a lot of, Things that probably most people are not privy to, uh, but as a first responder, we see things up close in front.
0: Yeah, you get to see some of the less pretty aspects of society. Absolutely. You so you said you were a narcotics invest, undercover investigator. You know this is kind of a. St- a stupid question so i apologize when i think of undercover investigation of drugs i think of it more in terms of like trying to find people coming in from other countries who are smuggling in drugs is that mainly where you were focused or were you focused more on local you know drug trafficking if you will
1: well when i first started on a local area um, to be able to go out as just an appearance wise a regular person to purchase Uh, narcotics, drugs, from individuals who were selling uh, these different types of listed substances uh, for for money. And of course we would try to work up uh, not just for the user, because that wasn't our primary goal, but in order to start somewhere at baseline, uh, we would work that person and try to go to the next level, There's what we call source of supply, and then go after the true dealers who were above them, ultimately to keep going on that ladder to eventually try to get the higher ups in that organization and, and then hold them accountable for what they were doing for, to our communities. They were devastating, um, our communities for basically for profit, for greed.
0: Right. Okay. So you were, you were in the sheriff's department in the narcotics area for how long again?
1: I would say out of the 40 years, I'd say almost 30 of those years was in narcotics investigations.
0: Okay. And what did you see during those years that surprised
1: you? Well, initially, we would see individuals doing drug deals in their own homes um, while their families were within close proximity. Or they would meet us in a parking lot and bring their children with them or to a business. And when you start to see that type of activity, you know, it's one thing for a person to do something wrong, but to basically influence and bring their family into it. Um, what message are you sending to those children? And and you're putting them in harm's way. Seriously, so, you're exposing them to danger. Correct. And then we would also see the same individuals that would get them trouble time and time again. And of course, realizing that they're going into the system, they get arrested and then go into the system and then come out. And then same thing would happen again, that there had to be a better way of trying to help that person to where obviously the incarceration was in the end all.
0: Right. Right. I remember we spoke to Pinellas County Sheriff Bob Gualteri and he explained, you're not going to, you're not going to enforce your way out of this particular situation. So you're in, you're more now in education, right? Tell us what you're doing now. What, what's, what is, what's your current project you're working on?
1: Well, my current project I'm working on right now as a Naloxone Narcan instructor. I started with the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office. I was able to bring that program to our agency members, develop the training protocol for it in our general orders, which outlines how we are going to not just uh, implement, but use locks in the street, and as well as uh, the standard way of every agency member, from law enforcement to civilian, anyone that would encounter um, a drug substance from our law enforcement, who would go to a death investigation, to our crime scene technicians that would maybe called out to the scene, the process, uh, that crime scene, as well as our property and evidence clerks. If there was a potential for a problem where we call it a, a drug exposure, adverse reaction to some unknown substance, we trained them on what to do using naloxone to potentially save a life.
0: Sometimes. The hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount, or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. We appreciate you listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. We don't do this podcast because we are former addicts. We don't do this podcast because we have loved ones who have suffered from addiction. We do this podcast because we feel that addiction is one of the biggest problems facing the world today and that no matter who you are, no matter your religion, no matter your income status, no matter your race, no matter anything about you, addiction affects you. This podcast is a free resource for anybody looking for help with addiction if you would like to contribute to our podcast, please go to bit.ly slash fight drugs. That's H-T-T-P-S colon slash slash B-I-T dot L-Y slash fight drugs and make a donation of whatever amount you would like. Thank you for supporting us. Do you have any kind of an estimate on how many lives Naloxone is saved?
1: Well, recently I just read some information on Florida. I say Florida, that according to that information, over 33,000 people have been saved just with the opportunity to administer and help them with Naloxone to save them at that point. Now, I personally think those numbers are are relatively low uh, because there are some organizations where it's mandatory that information be recorded. And that's probably where that number comes from. But there's naloxone is given out in so many other avenues that we may never know uh, how many times it's actually been used by a loved one to help somebody or a friend to help a friend, where ultimately if there wasn't a first responder response like law enforcement, EMS, FD, then that information would never be captured.
0: Right. Well, and Recently, Steve and I, my husband and I, we did um, CPR training. Okay. Just basic CPR training because, you know, you never know. We're in our 70s and you just never know when you might have to help somebody's heart get started again. And it would seem to me like naloxone training is as vital as CPR. And especially to those people who listen to this podcast who have a loved one that is addicted.
1: Absolutely. Uh, CPR is an absolute must that everyone should know how to do the basic CPR fundamentals. And and Narcan, or whatever the product is, as long as it's a naloxin product, is, is the same type of tool, same type of first aid. Um, trying to help somebody, if you don't do CPR and you don't do Naloxone, the person has zero chances. But right. if you do something, uh, they have a uh, better likelihood of surviving that emergency.
0: Right. Do you do training just on the average individual, like anybody could do the training?
1: Yes. Um, Right now, Pinellas County Human Services actually acquired a four-year grant, and the grant entails basically going out and doing the awareness training for professionals. And this training is a little different. Uh, It actually has the why. Why are we doing it? It has the drug trends and, and the data supports the overdose, deaths, I like to refer to them as poisonings, as well as um, the information on substance use that's affecting certain types of drug groups, being the fentanyl analogs, a main contributor to these deaths. And then we talk about safety considerations for the person who may be the rescuer, like you and I, that would come to the aid of somebody. And then we show them how to use naloxone. So it's a complete overall from start to finish. And we do it in about an hour and a half. It's a little bit longer than just you know, the locks and training. But I think it's important for them to have an understanding as to why we're doing this and the importance of it across the board.
0: I think so too. Now, you're in Pinellas County, and I believe you're going to do a training locally toward the end of September. I can take advantage of that. But there are a lot of our listeners who are not in Pinellas County. Where would they go to maybe see if they could get this type of training in their area? What government official do you typically go to for that? You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review.
1: Well, I would start with your local Department of Health. Okay. Uh, In Florida, uh, you could walk into any Florida Department of Health and just ask for naloxone and obtain it for free. Now, you could always go to any pharmacy. And the laws have changed where no longer you need required to have a prescription from a, a doctor, where you go in and just ask for it and either self-purchase it or get it through an insurance if your insurance will cover it and then get the Naloxone that way. So there's a variety of different ways to obtain it, but in order to get it, maybe for free, I'd start with your local Department of Health and where they're at.
0: But how do they out. know what to do with it? Because, Dan, I don't know. You could hand it to me, and I would not have a clue what to do with it. How can they learn how to administer it?
1: Well, I'm one. I'm big on props. So using just the like, Naloxone, which I have here, um, currently, the information is on the inside of a flap. So if they walk into the Department of Health, no questions asked, they could just get one of these boxes, two doses of naloxone, and be out the door. They could actually read this information, follow this, or at least look at it ahead of time, and then use naloxone safely. Or they can actually talk to the representatives at the Florida Department of Health, and I'm sure they would walk them through the steps and some training opportunities. And then there's other online training opportunities that you can take without ever leaving your home, uh, that you can actually brush up on what to do and what to expect using naloxone. Online? Online.
0: Okay. Dan, are you finding that with the whole influx of fentanyl um, and fentanyl analogs coming in over the border, that naloxone is being used even more
1: than it was? I think it's being used more than ever Uh, My biggest concern is that uh, Naloxone has been around for a long time, and there's different products, and I'm going to refer to Narcan, and I don't work for any of these companies. uh, And I've used a multitude of other products. I've used the auto-injectors. I've seen the actual uh, injectables. And of course, I'm a big opponent of any nasal application that you can quickly squirt up somebody's nose. It's the most less obtrusive. But... Getting back to to the product itself, I, I think it's important that that we go out and try to find where this product is available, where this medicine is available, acquire it, and then have it with you just in case of what if, if there's an emergency.
0: And, you know, I hate to say this because it, it sounds like I'm not trying to be like a merchant of doom and I'm not trying to, you know, like make the world seem like a super threatening place. But truthfully, if you have a teenager in your house... It's not a bad idea to have it because, you know, these kids, they're going online and they're thinking, oh, someone says I'm going to try, you know, you should try Xanax. And so they decide to buy a Xanax off social media and it's laced with fentanyl. And if you, as a parent, and I know the parents think it never going to happen to my child, well, every single parent, probably that has lost a child to fentanyl said the same thing. It won't happen to my child and it doesn't cost you anything to just have Narcan in your medicine cabinet, just in case.
1: You're absolutely correct. Um, I've met so many families that have been devastated from the loss of a loved one, mainly their, their child, adult child, uh, teenager, very young teenager. The first thing they all tell me is that they did not know the dangers of fentanyl. They had no idea. They understood the basic concepts of things that teach their children as they were growing up, look both ways for you, cross traffic, don't touch the stove when it's hot, but how can you prepare yourself? And how can you, you educate your loved ones if you don't know about something? And then obviously a one time could be a tragic outcome. And again, meeting these families and, and listening to their tragedies, it's it's astounding. It truly is.
0: It's devastating. And um, there was one woman. I'm I'm so bad at remembering. We do so many different interviews, and you know her child was alive and could have been helped with Narcan, but wasn't, and then died. So anybody listening, you need to have Narcan in your house if you have a loved one that's addicted. Um, or if you've got teenagers and you don't really know whether they are or not, I would say just have it in your medicine cabinet just because
1: you know, the Joni, the best example I can give you and again, I'm big on props. No lox And it's just like this, the fire extinguisher, you know, exactly. you, need it. you know, you need it. You hope the day never comes that you have to use it. But when it does, you're so thankful you have it.
0: Yep. And I'm a firm believer. If you have, if you have it, chances are you won't need to use it. But if you don't, I can pretty much guarantee you will. And if you don't have it, there you go. Dan, you um, you do this in your retirement. I mean, I'm sure you get paid, but still you do it because you you care about our society and you care about the effects of drugs. And I appreciate everything you do.
1: Well, I do. And it's not about the pay. You know, there's a lot of community backs that I participate in. If I can go somewhere, especially if it's an hour or two traveling, there's no cost. And right. and I'm actually going to be involved with several youth groups here in the near future where I'm going to be coming in and talking about fentanyl. And I title it Fentanyl, a Silent Killer. And I'm going to let the videos do the work for me, the peer-to-peer of kids that talk about it and show them the stories. Uh, I was just on the phone with uh, mom, Amy Neville, uh, who lives out in the California area that lost her 14-year-old son, Alex, to a counterfeit fentanyl pill that he obtained off Snapchat.
0: Unbelievable.
1: So We know we, it happens. It, and and unfortunately, it's and I, I hate to say this, but it is going to happen at some point again. So how do we mitigate? How do we Try to keep these things from occurring is to use, and Amy will tell you this, and as well as many of the other parents I've met, they try to use their stories as a prevention, as an education, as a way to motivate change, laws, uh, to change, to open people's minds, regardless of what profession they're in. Okay. So we can express We basically can expand this information across the board because the majority of the public, sadly, is unaware of the dangers of fentanyl.
0: I know it. I know it, it's why we do what we do. When we started this podcast seven years ago, we were so clueless in the whole area of drugs. We know way more now than we ever even thought we had to. And it's amazing how many people out there do not know how devastating fentanyl is and how easy it is for young people to get it.
1: And the numbers are changing, they're getting worse. Um, We're hopeful in the near future that's going to change. But as I update the content that The education I provide, you know, a a year ago was like 73% of synthetic opioids, mainly the fentanyl analogs, were the drivers of these deaths, these poisonings. And then about two months ago, it changed from 73 to 82 and a half. And now I looked at the information again on the CDC. Now it's at 88%. Wow. So, and of course, the EA has changed their information as far as the counterfeit pills that contain fentanyl. Previously, it was four out of 10, 40%. And now they changed it to six out of 10 of pills that are on the street are counterfeit fentanyl pills. And Maybe I would say it's right? higher. And, and I was just going to agree with you. I Sorry. I think it's probably close to eight or nine out of those 10 pills, as well as every other illicit drug, cocaine, meth, heroin. Everything has been cold mingled with a barrage of, of all types of other nasty things. From xylazine to nitazines to uh, different types of cuts. And these are just bad for your health and, and they could be life threatening as well.
0: Wow. Dan, do you have a website or a way that people could contact you if they wanted to contact you?
1: Unfortunately, I don't have a website, but they could always contact me by my Gmail or okay. by my phone number. They're always welcome to reach out to me. And I'm sure. What's information- your email, Dan? My email is danzito at gmail.com. Kept it very easy.
0: And Zito, for those of you listening, is Z-S-I-D-O. Correct. And what is your phone number?
1: 727-214-4922. And that's my cell.
0: 22. Dan, thank you for everything that you do. And yeah. And if you're listening and you have teenagers, I would strongly suggest that you have naloxone in your house because maybe you're you're right, maybe your child will never try this, but maybe they have a friend who does, who happens to be at your house when they get a fentanyl pill. And you might need to use it, something to have.
1: I hope it never comes to that, but just a small little device and a little bit of spray Give me the difference in life and death. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Jonah.
0: Thank you for listening. In case you didn't get the message, you need to have Narcan, Naloxone, whatever you'd like to call it, in your house. If you have teenagers, even if you're a grandparent and you have teenage grandchildren, if teenagers ever come over to your house, you need to have this on hand, just like you would have a fire extinguisher in case a fire broke out in your kitchen. This is not a what's the word? I'm not being I'm not being light about it. I'm being very honest about it, and I don't like to spread doom and gloom. But this is something that you need to have, unfortunately, because of what's happening with fentanyl. So we will come back again. We'll have another interview um, next week, and if you or someone you love needs to get into treatment, do it now. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, point of no return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.